Well, good morning. Oh, it's so good to see you, South Campus, to our North Campus, our online family. It's great to have each and every one of us, and we encourage each other to take our next life-giving step with Jesus. So this is what I hope. I hope you're ready to be stretched. I hope you're ready to be challenged. Because reality is we are longing for something that is abnormal in our world. We're talking about entering into something that is beyond the norm. And if we want that which is radical, a life of rest. Come on, how many of you want a life of rest? Hands up. We all do. If we want something that's radical, we have to be willing to do the radical. And we are going to engage in that this morning. So if you don't mind, get your Bibles. You can turn to the third chapter of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible underneath your chair or the chair um, in front of you on the floor, we're on page 977. We're going to get to that text in just a moment. So one of the privileges I have as a pastor, uh, one of the honors is that I get to be with people often when it's pretty evident that they're going to die that they're gonna transition from this life into the next. And it's interesting, in all the times that I've done that, I've never sat with anybody who thought that even though they were dying, it was the end of their existence. I understand that that's anecdotal, but I've, I've done it a lot. And even people who for decades had held to the idea that when you're dead, you're done, that this life is all there is, it's interesting, there's a shift. There's a change that happens when we begin to stare the reality of death in the face. And I think that witnesses to the reality of Scripture, which says God has put eternity. Say eternity. So somewhere in your heart is eternity. That is how God designed us and wired us. Something within us knows that death isn't the end, that when we're dead, we're not done, that we move into something else. But listen to me. Eternity in our hearts is more than just the passing from this life into the next. Something within each human heart longs to matter. Something within each human heart longs to make a difference. Again, when I've sat with people who are staring at death, I have never had them talk to me about their accomplishments in life. I've never had them talk to me about their successes, how much money they made, all the stuff they were able to buy. But everyone, without exception, has looked at their life, and often they had a question. And that question was, did I do enough with my life? Did I make enough of a difference to the people I love, the people over around? Did I do enough without, in my life? When they were looking back on their life, they wanted to know that their existence on planet Earth had mattered. There was eternity in their hearts. One of the reasons so many people struggle with restlessness, one of the reasons we are weary and burdened is because we have something inside of us. Listen, we have eternity. God has placed in our hearts that longs to matter. But the dominant worldview of our day actually communicates the opposite to you and I. The dominant worldview of our day says we came about not by divine design, not by the creation of a creator, but we came about according to unguided evolution. So if we came about according to unguided evolution, as that's the origins of the species, so to speak, then that means our goal isn't to make a difference. We don't have eternity in our hearts. The goal is to survive. Evolution is about survival of the fittest, so the whole goal in life is to survive, and that's the norm of the day. But something within us knows that's not true. Something within us knows that we were made for more, that we don't exist just to make it, that we don't just get as much for me and mine as I can out of this life. God has placed eternity. Somebody say eternity. He has placed eternity in our hearts. God has made us to join him, listen to me, in making an eternal difference in the lives of people. But this is where the struggle comes in. Most of us, and I'm going to say even those of us in church struggle to really believe that I have what it takes to make an eternal difference in the lives of people. And the reason I think is 
we're kind of believing a lie. I remember being 16 years old, which means I have a good memory. Four decades ago that I was 16, and I was actually hospitalized because of, of abdomen pain. After a lot of tests, which I think many of them should be made illegal, by the way, um, they discovered that I had just good old worry-induced ulcers. I know not all ulcers are created that way. Mine were. And reality was, I was looking ahead to life. Because when I turned 18 and I graduated, I needed to go out on my own. My family didn't have the financial resources to really take care of me after that. It wasn't anything to do with my parents. They were doing the best they could. That was just our reality. And I wondered deep within if I had what it take, took to be able to live this thing called adulting. And that was before we ever turned that noun into a verb. You know what I'm saying? I had these longings in my heart to matter, but not just that. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to raise a good family, all these things, work a job. And I wondered, did I really have what it took to do that? And as I wrestled with this, it put holes in my stomach. And I could hear people in the church tell me just not to worry. Why are you worried so much? Why are you so uptight? You're just wired um, tighter than a two-bit fiddle is what my daddy used to say. So go look that up sometime. He said, it's just the way we were. I was in life. But they would tell me you don't need to do it. They would give me all these reasons I didn't need to worry. Some of them were kind and would quote, quote scripture at me. We looked at it a few weeks ago. Pastor Jeffrey did a great job saying, do not be anxious about this life. But the most common thing I heard, believe it or not, was this phrase. God will never give you more than you can handle. So I, I did this radical thing. I decided to find that in the Bible. So I pulled out a Bible concordance. For those of you who are like under age 45, a Bible concordance is a book, a thing with pages. And that's the way we used to look up scriptures. Long before Al Gore invented the internet, long before you could Google stuff like that, we actually had a book and you'd look up certain phrases. So I would look up phrases like handle and never give and stuff like that. I did all this looking to find any verse that would say something like that. And you know what I discovered? It ain't there. Nowhere does the scripture say that God will never give you more than you can handle. In fact, and this is where the stretch is going to be, he will often give you more than you can handle. And stepping into that is actually what brings rest because that is where we're going to make an eternal difference. And I know you're probably wrestling with that, so let's look at the Bible. Ephesians, the third chapter, throughout this letter, the Apostle Paul actually verbalizes some prayers he has for the church in Ephesus, but it wasn't just praying for them. He was praying for us. This is what God desires for our life, and it really outlines what we've been talking about entering into the restful life. Verse 14, for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family, say family, every family in heaven and earth is named. Now, the first couple of weeks, we answered the question, who am I? And we discovered that by the grace of God, not because of anything we earn, not because of anything we deserve, we just accept God's offer of adoption and we become his child, we become his son, we become his daughter, we become a member of his family. And because of that, because I know who I am, I can be at rest. But that's not the totality of what we know, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through your spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell, say dwell, that he may dwell in your hearts through faith. So weeks three and four, we answer the question, whose am I? Which is really a question of intimacy. The Song of Solomon says, I belong to my beloved and my beloved is mine. It's a statement of closeness, and we discovered that I can dwell 
I can be regularly in the presence of God. I can receive the manifest presence of God. I can take a day away from all the stuff of life and just be drawn into God in a life of intimacy with Jesus. Not just following him, but a life of being with him leads to rest. Verse 17 continues, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength, may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge. Isn't that interesting? We have to have power to know a love that we can't understand. But when we get more and more of that, we get filled with all the measure of the fullness of Christ. So in weeks five and six, we ask the question, what do I have? What we have is a father. A father who loves us with a kind of love that all of eternity will not be able to, we will not be able to grasp. It's not like you're gonna show up in heaven and you know everything like God does. God's gonna keep showing us things, keep showing us things, keep showing us things about himself. We're gonna have revelation after revelation because he is without end. And we're gonna be amazed again and again at the height, the width, the breadth, and the depth of the love of God. But in this world, there can be a power that we can know this love to a greater level. And when we know that love, we know that no matter what the future holds, the Father's gonna provide for us. We don't have to worry about tomorrow what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink because the Father's going to take care of that. He has given us kingdom provision. We also saw that there's kingdom power, that I can become like Jesus. I can live life on this earth more and more like Jesus. And if you read about Jesus in any and every situation, no matter how great the storms of life were, he lived a life at rest. Now the final question, the question that comes from eternity in our hearts what can I do? Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more, say far more. Now immediately, without reading the rest of it, we go, oh, of course, God can do whatever God wants to do. He's without limit. He has all power. But notice, now to God who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask, than we can think, more than we can imagine, according to his power at work within me within you, far more through you. Is that not what it says? Now to our God who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or think according to his power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And the people of God said, amen. Now, even right there when we read that far more in us, <coughs> something within us began to think, I don't know. That seems like more than I can handle. If I can't think it, I can imagine it. There's no way I can handle it. And that would be absolutely true if it were all up to you. See, the mistake we make is we think when I look, what can I do with life? We think it's about me. What can I do? What strengths do I have? What abilities do I have? How much money do I have? How many resources do I have? Et cetera, et cetera. And I look at that person in the mirror and I see that person in the mirror and I know the weaknesses, I know the lack, I know the struggles, and we think I really can't do a whole lot. Listen to me, God placed eternity in our hearts, but we were never meant to do eternal things on our own. Verse 20, let it sink in. I dare you to memorize it this week. Another translation, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. So notice the equation, God's power, where? In me, far more, immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. There is a truth shouted throughout Scripture that you're going to struggle with. I can do anything the Father says to do. I know. 
I can do anything. Say this with me. Say, I can do anything that the Father says to do. I am believing that there's going to be a revelation that we're going to get that more this week than ever. Because again, it's not about us. It's about his power at work within us. It's not about our abilities. It's not about our resources. It's about our Father and all that he can do. All we have to do is live like Jesus lived. It's what we saw last week. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. All of us would go, yeah, I get that part. I can do nothing on my own. I really can't make any eternal difference, which is why, in addition to the worldview we have, we just start and start thinking, really, there's not much I can do in this world. There's so many needs, so many problems, so much that is so overwhelming, it feels like I can't do anything. But he says, I can't do anything by myself. But the son can do what he sees the father doing. Because what the father does, the son also does. Jesus modeled for us the way we're to live our lives as sons and daughters of God. So this is what he did. He got close enough to him that he could see what he was doing all the time, and he said, I do that. He, we simply walk as close to God as we can. We dwell with him, according to verse 17, and we let the Father direct us what we need to do, and he will begin to fulfill the cry of eternity in our hearts, that one day we may be staring at death. Maybe we'll be at that day where we kind of know we're about to die, and we can look back and we can go, wow, to him who was able to do immeasurably more than I thought or imagined. He worked in me to do things I can't even dream of. Would that not be the testimony we want? To him be the glory, the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. But if that's going to happen, if we're going to live lives beyond what we can think or imagine, then we might as well expect that he's going to lead us into things beyond what we can ask and imagine. There's going to be things beyond what we can handle. Think about it. Every story in the Bible is a story of God using a person or God using a people to do more than they can handle. Pick a story. Daniel? Yep. Abraham? Yep. The early church, what about Moses? Moses was sent by God to basically tell the most powerful man on planet Earth to erect the Egyptian economy. He said, I want you to take your whole labor force that is absolutely free, so it's undergirding the entire economy. I want you to take that. I want you to let all those people go wreck, wreck your economy because I believe there's a God in heaven who told me to tell you that. Do you think Moses at any point in the journey felt like that was a little beyond what he could handle? Absolutely. If you don't believe me, read Exodus 3 because he had a real encounter with God. Jesus looked at his closest followers, those 12, one time, and he says, you're going to go. I want you to preach this message. The kingdom of God is near. And we might think, well, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not used to preaching, but I could probably do that. But notice the next verse. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Drive out the demons. How? I'm going to give it to you. You're going to give it. Freely you've received, freely give. Do you think when Jesus spoke those words, heal the sick? Like Bartholomew's over there going, whoa, whoa dude, hold on. I don't do that. Cleanse the lepers. Eh, nope, not me. Raise the dead. <laughs> not above my pay grade, Jesus. I can't handle this. 
you're going to receive it, give it. When we live this way, I can do anything the Father says to do. Every story in Scripture, every story of faith meant to inspire our faith is God taking somebody to do well above what they ever dreamed they could do, way above their pegway, way above their head, taking them in positions and places of impossibility so that they could learn a truth that brought life abundant to them. I can do anything. Somebody shout anything. Anything that Jesus tells me to do. And the result of living out that truth more and more in our life, we will live it out imperfectly. We will make mistakes, but I'm telling you, the result is abundant life. There are 72 followers of Jesus that we know nothing about, nameless, faceless people that were sent out like the 12. And the scripture says in Luke 10 that the 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Why did they have joy? Well, they were fulfilling the cry of eternity in their hearts. People who thought that they were just living day-to-day lives, just trying to make it, just trying to get enough food for their families, all of a sudden, God was using them to do incredible things, that God was bringing heaven to earth through them, that Jesus had taught them to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they had prayed it, but they had never dreamed it would happen through them. And now it was happening through them. Eternity in their hearts was being fulfilled in ways beyond what they could imagine. And they had joy. What kind of joy would it bring to each of us if we started just seeing Jesus do things like that in our lives? Jesus said abundance would be the result of doing this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We tend to stop right there. He says, get close to me, dwell with me, walk with me. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Do you know what a yoke is? A yoke is a farming implement. It's a tool where two animals were put together. They were put in tandem, and when they pulled, it wasn't the strength of two animals. There was actually a synergistic effect that occurred, and two ox, oxen that were pulling together didn't have the strength of two oxen. They actually had the strength of four or five oxen. And Jesus says, I want you to come. I want you to get close to me. I want you to yoke up with me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Walk with me. Stay in step with me. And as you do that, you're going to what? You're going to find rest for your souls. We're called to yoke with Jesus, to step where he steps, to do what he does. And the result, believe it or not, is there's a rest for our souls because we know we are fulfilling the destiny for which we are placed on planet Earth, that we were meant to make an eternal difference in the lives of people. What if, listen to me, what if we dared to ask God for the grace to live like that? Not perfectly, We do it imperfectly. But what would happen, just Beltway Park, just the thousands of us gathered at our two campuses and online, what kind of difference might we make in in our region if we just ask God for grace to take steps into what he called us to do? It's going to make us uncomfortable. It's going to stretch us. What would happen if the church of Jesus in the big country started responding like this? I'm telling you, more than we ask or dream Now, when we do it, listen to me, we're going to find ourselves challenged because we will step into things beyond what we can handle. You guys will expect it. If you want the great things of Jesus, you got to step with Jesus into things that are impossible. We're going to find that we're going to be stretched. We're going to find ourselves stepping into things that make us uncomfortable. And if all the words we as Americans despise, it is the word uncomfortable. 
There's going to be places where God has to show up where we have to live by faith. But that's where the rest is. That's where the abundance is. I can tell you, testify, as we live this way, abundant life. I have not come anywhere close to totally living this, but I'm going to tell you the best things of my life, the things I am most proud of, things where we had to step and Jesus showed up. And all I can say is, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than I can ask or think, who is so gracious to work his power in me. I want to tell you part of our story, but I got a little smart. And instead of me telling you the story, I'm going to have my wife tell you the story. She's amazing. She doesn't like to be in public. She doesn't like to do that, so we put her on video. If you look at her and say, dude, how did you do that? Favor of God. That's what I get. But I'm going to tell you, I want you to hear our story and hear what God has done. Take a look. Hi, my name is Jeanette McQueen, and in 2008, my husband David and I became foster parents. And so that year, we welcomed Zoe into our home. And um, because we've been in ministry for years, it was just seemed totally normal to us to invite some people along on the journey. So as we were licensing to become foster parents, we asked some friends, would you come along and do this with us? And they did. And so we actually did some of our training together. So we were all in there doing CPR together, and it was pretty fun. And um, we had four other couples that joined us from the very, very, very beginning. So it was really exciting when Zoe moved into the house. We had people that were already joining us on the journey, and they were so incredibly helpful. I've learned since then, Dr. Bruce Perry says that that a child that's come from a hard situation, the more relationships they have, the healthier the outcome. And so, and that was what we saw true in our life, is that Zoe didn't have any family before, and then she came to us, and we were an adoptive placement. So so, but she, her parental rights were already terminated before she came to live with us. So we knew all along that she would be an adoption. And then these other families joined us on the journey. So she immediately had surrogate aunts and uncles and to help me because we really needed the help. But it was also helping her is that she had all these relationships to build into and to feed into her life. We didn't know it then, but that was the first wraparound team. <laughs> so what happened after that is only the Lord can orchestrate this is that other families began to, to become foster parents as well. And so sometimes they would call me and sometimes I knew them and sometimes I didn't and they would call me and say, hey, we're really struggling and I would go meet them for coffee and just talk about some solutions to you know whatever it is they were going through at the time. And so I did that from 2008 to 2012. But in 2012, we had a lot of foster families now and this ministry, the Beltway Foster Adoption Ministry was birthed just out of a need because we had so many foster parents that so we began to to build the support that they needed. It wasn't as natural for everyone to, to start building a team around themselves. So that's what I began to do is to try to find other people that would walk with them in the journey. So that was in 2012 and what happened next only the Lord could orchestrate. Since then we've seen 133 families come through Boatway Park as foster placements and we've welcomed well over 350 kids through our church, through those families. And we've seen 116 adoptions just from foster care. There's actually been more than that when you look at domestic adoptions and international adoptions. Only the Lord could orchestrate that. We, I don't even know that we had a vision for something like that back in the day. We just knew the Lord said to take the next steps and that's what we did.
Uh, so because of my love for you, I'm going to run the risk and I'm going to correct my wife a little bit. Okay, you know how dangerous that is. She's not wrong. She was just not accurate. So, uh, she was absolutely correct. Zoe was, the intent always was to adopt her. But we had a whole year where we could back out. So it was a day in, day out evaluation. So if you work in the foster system, you want to adopt, you have to have a six-month period, kind of a trial period, where basically you can cut bait. And we had that all the time. And so it was our intent, but there was the end of some days where it was like, God, are you sure? It was a hard year. It was a really hard year. We saw God do gracious things, and it was incredible. But I'll never forget the day. Um, as we moved closer, and we were still saying yes, but we had trepidation. You have to read the file of a kid if you're going to enter into adoption, and we got the file, and it was thousands of pages, pounds and pounds. And we just kind of kept reading these story after story. She had been in 10 placements in four years, not because the placements were bad, because she was hard. She had gone through a lot, a lot. She was so hard. So difficult. So all we could do, we couldn't even talk. We would read and cry, read and cry, cried for four hours solid. And at the end of it, we were just shell shocked. It's like, are we nuts for doing this? I started bargaining with God. It's like, God, I'm doing a lot. Aren't I? Aren't I doing enough? I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, doing this. It's like, are you sure this is what we're supposed to step into? I don't think we can do this. As Providence would have it, we had an encounter night that night. I hope you make our encounter nights. We have one, I think, November 13th. It's incredible. Great guests coming in. Um, and the church was worshiping. I couldn't worship. I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't honoring God. I was just so, and somebody came up to us who knew nothing about this and gave us a prophetic word that they didn't know exactly what it meant, but we knew exactly what it meant. And when I was asking God, are you sure we can't handle this? And the word basically was, my power in you can enable you to do this. You can do anything I tell you to do. And we've seen God do abundantly more than we ask or imagine. Does it mean everything's turned out the way we wanted? No. Some things haven't. Some things have turned out greater. But I am confident we did exactly what the Lord was have us do, and it brings abundant into our lives. I testify to it. A few years ago, God directed our elders to dream of being part of things that we could not handle. So you can go online, you can see our 2030 vision. There are things on there like we want to see 4,000 people baptized before the end of 2030. That will take an incredible move of God among us to happen. We want to start churches. We're doing some of that right now. We'll tell you, but one of the dreams we had, which I'm telling you, it's not being done anywhere in the nation. We wanted to see the Church of Jesus in the big country resolve the foster family crisis. That every kid would have a spirit-filled home to go to a home that has the presence of Jesus, that they have to go into foster care, that we would do what the early church did. You know that the early church rescued the orphan. They didn't have abortion back in the first and second and third century. The Romans would just abandon their kids on the trash heaps. If they didn't want the kid, they would abandon it. They would expose it was the word. And Christians started going to the trash heaps every day and picking up babies. And they started taking all these babies into their homes, all the unwanted. And over time, it shifted a culture. 
What if the church did that in the big country? I'm not talking about Beltway alone. What would it look like if every kid, 700 plus every year in our region that have to come into foster care, if they got to go into a Christ-centered, filled with the love of the Father, place of hope and healing? What kind of dream would that happen? We can do that. We dream that we as a church could do something like that. See, we want to ensure loving, stable homes for every kid who needs by partnering with and equipping other churches to meet every foster care need in our region. We want to be the first region in the United States of America to see something like that happen in life. Now, I don't believe all those homes are going to come from Beltway Park, I think they're going to, but I think a lot will. And I know some of us, I do this, and something starts stirring inside of you. The natural thing is when you get stirred, you say, I can't handle that. And if, you can't, if you're saying right now, I can't handle that, good. That means you're a great candidate to step into what God has for you. Listen to me. If there's something that you felt stirred about that doesn't bring comfort to yourself, it's for the glory of God, you can see it's good, and you know it's beyond what you can handle, I would really pay attention to that because it's probably something God would have you step into. I'm just going to let you know, if you get stirred to that, we're not all going to be stirred to that. We're all going to get stirred to different things. So here's what we don't do. We don't compare. Listen to me. Don't compare. We don't compare each other's journey. If you read the end of the Gospel of John, Peter is told by Jesus the way he's going to die. And Peter looks at Jesus and says, well, what about him? And points to John. Well, if I'm going to die this way, doesn't John have to die this way? And Jesus looked at Peter and said, what's he to you? You follow me. I follow Jesus. It doesn't matter if any other people are doing it. It doesn't matter what God has other people doing. It doesn't matter if they're saying yes. It doesn't matter if they say no. I follow Jesus. I'm going to step into everything he has for my life, and I'm going to see him do abundantly more than I can ask or imagine. Amen? And so maybe he's stirring you to that. There's people in the foyers at both campuses. You can go there. You can talk. Nobody's going to twist your arm. Nobody's going to try to make you do something. It's just a discerning process. You want to know more? You go there. Maybe you want to be one of those wraparound families. You want to help another family. You go there. You talk to them. We're going to have an interest meeting. I think they're actually going to buy you barbecue, which is actually a pretty good deal as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, go out there and see what that is uh, in life. Now, because of this dream, listen to me. We knew that we had to resolve some obstacles in the way of foster care. Over half the kids that come into foster care are under the age of five. Daycare is a big need. So we had a dream. Why don't we open daycares that have priority for foster kids? Why don't we open a counseling center that is for teens and youth that have priority for foster kids? We learned from a series of studies that these buildings that we have wouldn't be the best. So we began just like putting some money away, dreaming of having a facility that could do that. And about a year ago, a building popped up, South 23rd and Willis. For decades, it's been used as Abilene to to testify to the love of Jesus Christ. Great church called Brook Hollow Christian Church. They were no longer able to be in the place to handle that facility, so we bought it. And we began to have a dream. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to come tonight. Say tonight. I need you to come tonight or tomorrow at lunch or tomorrow night. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write graffiti all over the walls. God-ordained graffiti. That has actually happened for us, by the way. There are people that have broken into the building and wrote Jesus stuff all over it. I don't know if that's of God or not. You know what I'm saying? I don't. So we've had two things happen. We've had people go in there and write Jesus graffiti, and we've had people write about Pink Floyd. I don't like it. There are a bunch of 60-year-olds breaking into our building to write about Pink Floyd. I don't know. We got rid of the Pink Floyd references. We're keeping the Jesus references, hoping they had a good heart. They had bad implementation of that heart, and we're going to keep it there, but we're going to do it on purpose. We're going to write scripture. We're going to write promises. We're going to write prayers that the Lord has. By the way, um, at either of our campus, wherever you're putting your foot, there's probably a, a promise. 
on the walls that you go by, there's probably a promise written. We've done this in all of our buildings. It's been incredible. I want you to come. It's come and go. You don't have to stay. We're not going to ask you for anything there. It's just to come and go and you be part of it. Now, some of you have asked. I love this about our church. Some of you ask, can we give to this? And I've been telling you for 12 months, no, we've got enough money. I don't know if you know there's a thing happening right now in America where prices are going up. And we might not have enough money. So if you're asking right now, can we give to it? Yes. Um, you can give to it now if you want to, if you feel led to do that. You can go to the website. You can dedicate to Beltway Ministry Center. You can be a part of that. We'll use it for the remodel cost, and then we'll use it for um, operations and scholarships. For us to prioritize foster kids, we're going to have to have money, pure and simple, to make that happen. It's the only model that works. I just want you to come be a part of it. Come on. Dream with me for a second. Look at me. What would happen if we all began stepping into things like this, whatever the Lord leads? What might happen? Listen to me. It doesn't always have to be big things. Sometimes the steps aren't really that big, but they're a big step for me. If you've never done something before, it's a big deal, right? If you've never prayed for somebody to be made well in the name of Jesus, it feels a daunting thing to do that. If you have never stepped out and shared the love of Jesus, like what we're doing, we actually have a We Love Our City Halloween outreach. We want to bring light into a dark day. It's a real simple thing. All you got to do is you go to our foyers in both campuses. We have some packets there. We have a T-shirt that you can wear during the time, and all you have to do is somehow show the love of Jesus. You give them the card. It has a message about Jesus on it. It has an invitation to our church. Maybe the Lord would lead you to do some things. You can do whatever it is. You can do it as a family. You can do it as a small group. You can do it however you want to do it. Just step into that and be a part of it. Here is the only requirement. You wear our T-shirt. You don't give out cheap candy, okay? You got it? You wear our T-shirt. You buy the good stuff. Buy the candy bars. Don't buy the hard candy that come in like 1000 for a buck. If it's 1000 for a buck, don't wear our T-shirt and give it out. Buy the good stuff, get out. We, but we got some groups that are praying. There's some, we got people doing hot dogs, we got them doing water. We have prayer tents being set up, whatever the Lord leads you to do. But the simple step you can take is just somebody going to come knock on your door. They came to your house. You didn't go to them. It's your house. Do what you want. Be nice. Give them something great. Say, Jesus loves you. Jesus bless you. Give them a card and see what the Lord does with that. Just take a step of faith into that. Or maybe you want to step into one of our short-term mission trips. People who wrestle with our short-term mission trips always say, I don't have enough experience, I don't have the right abilities, I don't have the right gifts, I don't have enough money. In essence, I can't handle this. Good! You're a candidate. See, it doesn't matter if you can handle it. The only question you have to ask is, Jesus, are you leading me to do this? Because I can do anything the Father says to do. So come and discern. The whole reason we have interest meeting is just to come and discern. So we have 12 trips that are going out in 2023. They are incredible. If there's even an inkling of a stirring, show up to the South Campus 3 p.m. October 30th next Sunday and just see what the Lord does in that. You don't have to say yes at the moment. It's just a discerning trip. Hear me. Every one of us wants a life of rest. I don't know how the Father's going to direct you. It may be one of these three things. It may have nothing to do with this. But I know this. If you yoke with Jesus like we're supposed to, we draw near to him, he's going to take you into things beyond what you can imagine. That's the good stuff. That is the fun stuff. 
I know that the Father will lead us regularly into things beyond what we can handle so he can show the greatness of his love and his power in the world. Come on. When I get to the end of my life, if I have the grace to look back, I already know that there's something beyond and I'm about to go there. And more than you know, I want to go there. Not because I want to be out of this world. I want to stay in this world to help as many people as I can, but I want to see him. I want to be with him. I've drawn close enough to him time and time again. I know how good it is and to have that unhindered. To be free of sin. To be free of entanglements. To be free of all the things that would hinder me from Jesus. I, I want to be there. I can ache with the Apostle Paul who said, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. I, I don't know which is better. I'll stay here as long as Jesus has me stay here while my heart wants to go there. But when I get to that day where I can look back, I want a whole legacy of exceedingly, abundantly, more than I can ask or think. And all you got to do at my funeral is real simple. You're going to worship a long time at my funeral. Okay? And it's going to be loud. Um, no, you're going to worship a long time, and then somebody's going to get up and say, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think, according to his power at work within us, to him be the glory. To him be the honor. To him be the praise in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Say amen, you get to go. Because that's all I care about. And deep down, I know it's all you care about. The thought of that being anywhere close to true brings such deep rest to my being. Because that's who I'm designed to be. I just want to have the courage to do it. Amen? Let's bow our heads right now. Would you ask God for grace to believe it? I just want you to say it. You can just whisper it right now. Say, I can. Go ahead, say, I can do anything the Father says to do. So how about we just ask for courage to believe that more than we ever have? I don't believe it in totality yet. I believe it more now than I think I ever have, but I don't believe it in totality. But we can step further into that truth. Would you just ask him for grace to do that? Now, what if you ask him for courage? You know, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is stepping in Jesus in the face of fear. And anytime you go into something of discomfort, beyond what you can handle, something that seems impossible, there's probably going to be some fear. That's okay. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's stepping with Jesus in the face of fear. It is seeing God beyond that situation. Jesus asked him for courage. Maybe the Lord has been stirring something in you over the years. Maybe we talked about it. Maybe it has something to do with foster care, but it may be something else. There's so many things God wants us to be part of it. If we all just continue to live this way, staying in step with Jesus and believing that I can do anything the Father says to do, and we do that as two billion of us on planet Earth, we'll shape the Earth. You don't have to worry about anybody else but being faithful to what the Lord's called you to do. But maybe he stirred some things into you and you've thought about it and go, I can't handle that. I can't do that. Revisit that now. 
and say, Lord, I, I don't want to look at what I can do. I just want to know what you say to do, and I'll trust your power within me to do it. And then ask him for clarity to make sure that's him, whatever it is. And we just live life that way. The question is not, can I handle it? The question is, Jesus leading me to it. And maybe there's some things he's been stirring with you over the years. Now it's time to revisit. Let him do that. Say, Spirit of God, show me that it's really from you, and I want courage to step into it. Or I want courage to step into it in the days to come. Jesus, thank you. You gave us an invitation to come to you. We come. We come. We draw near to you. That's how we want to live. We want to live in your presence. In your presence, there is fullness and joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. We draw near to you knowing that you will draw near to us. We trust it. And we take up your yoke. We say yes. We receive grace to believe. We believe. Help us in our unbelief and let us step where you step and do what you do. Give us courage, Jesus, not to hold back. Where we've made mistakes, Lord, we want to make mistakes trying to follow you. We don't want to make mistakes holding back. We're going to just try to make steps following you where we've made mistakes. Forgive us and give us grace to more clearly discern what it is you would have us do to be who you've called us to be. We bless you. We thank you. And I speak over these men and women your promise that when we take our yoke upon you and learn of being, we'll know that you're gentle, you're humble in heart, and there is rest for our souls. We receive that rest and we live from it, Lord God. Now to you who is able to do far more than we can think or imagine by your power at work in us, in our lives, oh Lord, would you bring glory. To you be the glory in us, in the church, in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.